Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte, an astronaut, an astronomer, and an Ian Anderson. Oh my! <laughs> Joining us is Dr. Katie Coleman, a flipping astronaut. Like in real life, left the planet, an astronaut. From her website, Coleman is a former NASA astronaut, an Air Force colonel with more than 180 days in space, two space shuttle missions, and a six-month expedition to the International Space Station where she acted as the lead robotics and lead science officer. Katie is an advocate for inclusion in STEM and STEAM fields. She recently co-anchored ABC News Live's coverage of the SpaceX launch and the Perseverance Mars rover landing. Katie is the global explorer in residence at Arizona State University and co-host of the podcast Mission Interplanetary. She's also a research affiliate at the MIT Media Lab. She serves on several boards, including the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History and Greenfield Community College. Katie's also a UMass Amherst alumna who lives in Western Mass with her husband, Josh Simpson, the world-renowned glass artist and their two sons. She's an amateur flute player, but I think if you're playing professional shows, you're a professional flute player (laughs) known for her space duet with Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull, which we'll hear a little bit later in the show, and her work from space with the acclaimed Irish band The Chieftains. She coached actress Sandra Bullock from the ISS in preparation for Bullock's astronaut role in the film Gravity. Also joining us is our resident astronomer, Dr. Salman Hamid, who is the Charles Taylor Chair and Associate Professor of Integrated Science and Humanities in the School of Cognitive Science at Hampshire College. He holds a PhD in astronomy from New Mexico State University at Las Cruces and a BS in physics and astronomy from the State University of New York at Stony Brook. His research and teaching lies at the intersections of science and society. He is also heavily involved in science and astronomy outreach, both in English in the U.S. and in Urdu and South Asia. But we just call him Mr. Universe for fun. And also (laughs) joining us is Chris Devine, a musician performing on electric and acoustic violin, mandolin, guitar, flute, saxophone, keyboard, and vocals. He's an actor and a comic, conservatory trained as a violinist. As an all-around session musician, he's appeared on hundreds of releases in many different styles of music, including classical, for people that miss that right now during this hour, jazz, rock, pop, country. His performances have aired on Nickelodeon, Comedy Central, and PBS, oh, public media. What's that? What's yes. that? <laughs> Chris toured Europe and Russia for some years in Blackmore's Night as a featured soloist beside legendary guitarist Richie Blackmore of Deep Purple. In his theatrical career, he's portrayed many of the iconic roles of Shakespeare and uh, numerous contemporary dramas and comedies and performs as Ian Anderson in the local tribute to Jethro Tull called Minstrels in the Gallery, playing at the Drake this Saturday. And I promise... All three of these guests here at the same time will make sense eventually. Uh, And if you want to ask a question of an astronaut, an astronomer, or an Ian Anderson aficionado, call or text 1-800-639-9120. We will start first with the astronaut, Katie Coleman. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It is wonderful to be here. And actually, with... Uh, just such fun people, yourselves included. <laughs> now, Salman Hamid and I have talked about you frequently, and even though we talk about astronomy You're the frequently. Ones. We're the ones. Yeah, you can feel you know, your ears are burning. Uh, this is the first time you two have met, which is a great thrill for me to bring this together. And we're going to talk a little bit um, in just a bit about new spacesuits versus old spacesuits that you used to wear. Salman will be focusing on NASA's uh, newly revealed spacesuits. But for those who aren't familiar with your story... First of all, you're a huge supporter of uh, public media about this public station as well, which we're really grateful for. And that's where I got to first meet you. And I introduced you to my cohort 
from 93.9 The River, Joan Holiday, using a more curse version of an F word besides flipping when I introduced you as an astronaut. I said, this is Katie. This is Josh Simpson, the famous glassblower, and his wife, Katie Coleman, an astronaut, a real bleeping astronaut, because I was <laughs> over the moon, pun intended, by meeting you. I meet a lot of famous people, but you rarely get to meet a human being who has gone to outer space. Do you wake up every morning and think, or look at the stars at night and say, I was... I was close to them, closer than most human beings ever. No. <laughs> Good. So then I won't put so much emphasis on going there. But it's I, but, all overrated. But I do actually look at I do actually look at the moon differently really? these days. Absolutely. Where, I mean, it's actually my my husband and I commuted for. 24 years. To the moon? Yeah. You know, it, oh. was, it was long. Uh, <laughs> like you do. Yeah, right. <laughs> As one does. Um, but, uh, but, you know, we did commit between Houston and Shelburne Falls for many years and mm-hmm. D.C. For, for two. And somehow it's just really wonderful to know that when you look out, you see the same moon. Yeah. And, and that meant a lot to me. And, and there's also a great story that I love and Salman might know. Um, Alan Bean, one of the early astronauts, when he was on the moon, he took with him his astronaut pin, the one that you get when you are like certified after training, eligible to be assigned to a mission, this silver pin. And then when you fly in space and you buy these, of course, um, <laughs> you get a gold pin. So he took his silver pin with him to the moon. And before he left, he, he took that pin. And he threw it as far as he could. And so when I look at the moon, I think of Alan Bean's pin up there. And now I think about who will go there and who that we know will go there. They're probably all younger than everyone in this room, I'm just going to say. Oh, yeah, okay? for sure. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for well, sure. Th- would that pin go forever? Or is there enough gravity on the moon that it would make it fall eventually? Oh, it definitely will fall. Okay, but yes. if you were outside of the moon about- and you threw it, it would just go forever until it punctures some... Alien spacecraft somewhere. Well, or we we do not throw anything else out. No throwing out the trash. You know, everything is thrown out in a careful way. Uh-huh. Well, everything isn't, but that is the goal, actually. And I will say, from the space station, and you know, the the you know what you need to do to design missions these days is to make sure that nothing hangs around for a long time, because it is dangerous to the other the other endeavors that are up there. So we're speaking with Katie Coleman, who uh, is a Shelburne resident and an astronaut who was in space. For 188 days, is that what it is? Two missions? Is that how? Uh, so two shuttle missions, two shuttle and missions? then just shy of six months. I'm always like, uh-huh. you know, feel bad about rounding up. Yes, but <laughs> it's a, it, at that point, especially because so few people get to go, I think you have license to round okay. up your time. <laughs> we'll definitely allow it. But one of the things I'm actually quite proud of is I am actually the first uh, person to bring public radio up to the space station in that we get to before we go we you know they ask us what we want to listen to what we want to watch you know that kind of thing and it was they would put television news up there and and it would be 24 hours after the news happened and i said you know it's all about bandwidth and i Uh said i i just would like to hear public radio and and they're like well how often i'm like well, every day. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so now it's uh, it's it's up there all the time for everybody. So what what shows in particular did you want to listen to when you were on the International Space Station from public radio? Well, we didn't have the fabulous 413. Not yet. And, but, you know, I... <laughs> Other I, future astronauts, perhaps. You know? <laughs> if they're interested, we're available. Yeah. I, would, I would definitely have that. I mean, you want to... Mostly, mostly just the, the sort of national, international uh, news and all, all things considered. Right. Just and, and we do a lot of working out up there, so it's a lot of time sometimes to be able to 
listen in that way. Why, and for those who don't understand why you have to do a lot of working out up there, why do you have to do a lot of working out when you're up there? Just Not just so that you look good as an astronaut. It's well, more to it than that. There's a lot of bone. There can be a lot of bone loss and muscle loss. And in fact, we are basically really great um, patients or lab rats mm-hmm. for uh, osteoporosis. Because what a person, a woman who's 70 years old that has osteoporosis, what she loses in a year, I would lose in a month. So it's really a lot of bone loss. But uh, we've found different ways of, I mean, the, so exercise is here to stay. Um, exercise, vitamin D. I mean, but we're still looking at what are the ways that, you know, we can stay healthy in space. But it really does come right back down here to Earth for keeping people healthy down here, too. Does it have health repercussions for you now? The uh, the fact that you were up there for almost six months? Like- I, have, I have a physical every year. So mm-hmm. we're always like, I mean, I love being data. Uh-huh. <laughs> Some people donate their body to science after they've passed. But I'll just say that whenever one of us has surgery and something comes out, everybody wants to see it. Okay. Uh- <laughs> Hampshire College astronomer Dr. Salman Hamid, Mr. Universe, you have a question for astronaut Katie Coleman. Yeah. Well, first of all, I also wanted to thank you because uh, I think one of the missions, uh, Chandra, were, Chandra X-ray mm. Space Observatory, which is a very crucial observatory for astronomy. So, on behalf of astronomers, thank you. <laughs> but but I had a question, and so we talk about dark skies, and in particular these mm-hmm. days, uh, people are worrying more and more about uh, the light pollution in there. And I'm just wondering because, uh, like you know, how was the sky from the space station? I mean, in terms of uh, and looking from some of the dark skies here, what's is there, is there any difference, or is it just like a really dark sky up there? It is really dark. If you make it really dark, believe it or not, we have a lot of light pollution in, for example, the cupola, you know, surrounded by windows. But every, you know, they don't want you to run into things. So there's all these little lights. Every button has a little light. Oh, yeah. And so basically we have a bunch of gym T-shirts and we've like sewn them together to be like you can put them on things. And you make one way to do it is literally have a T-shirt that you have around your neck. But then you take a big one. And then you put the rest of it duct taped up to the window. <laughs> and that way, you know, basically you are This inside. is NASA we're talking about, everybody. NASA. Duct tape, right? These are the beautiful solutions we come yeah, up right. with when we're but, forced to. But it, it's a lot of work to make it dark enough to see. And I think a, an, an astronomer might actually have done that more than I did. But even just looking out, it just looks somehow more three-dimensional. Almost like, you know, if you were going to go there, you could go then a little further and maybe to it just it looks like you could journey through space as opposed to what I feel like just looking at the night sky. You know, it seems it's not one dimensional, but. Well, you would also be seeing, I mean, the Earth has in a different perspective. So stars would be seeing sort of like, you know, without the horizon. Exactly. In some sense, probably that's the. Yeah. Wow. And you are actually journeying on the space station. You're going at a very fast rate. We are. Do you feel it differently than you feel it when you're on Earth? Or did it feel like w- just being on Earth or like more like being in a car? Like, did the Earth that you could see below look like it was going fast around in a circle? or does... we're, we're going f- like five miles a second. Something it's pretty like that. fast. Which sounds I got really pulled fast, over for right? doing that on 91 <laughs> on the way here. Yeah, no. <laughs> Cars can't do that. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> but it um, it doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, it's more, you just get used to this vantage point of being able to look around, you know, to see places. And, and to me, to look down at the earth and really feel connected to the places. When we first got up there, we would look out just at night. 
because in a way, like the earth goes by, it's a little overwhelming just in like, okay, this is what continent is this? And, and then after a while, different continents have different sort of textures and colors and Australia is a different color than, you know, someplace that's more red, brown in, in Africa, but then there's really green places in Africa. And, and so you get so that, you, at least for me, it would, it would mean something to feel connected to the places as you look out and see them amazing. Speaking with astronaut Katie Coleman from Shelburne, we are uh, open to taking your questions at 800-639-9120. I realize that not everybody has headphones in here, so it might be harder to ask a uh, phone-based question, but we might get to that point later in the show (laughs) if we can dig up some headphones, and I'm definitely not telegraphing a call to the other people in the other room who uh, could potentially bring (laughs) headphones in here. Uh, And we're also speaking with Hampshire College astronomer Dr. Salman Hamid, Mr. Universe, and uh, Katie Coleman is going to be performing the flute somewhere in Amherst. And that is why we have Chris Devine here from Minstrels in the Gallery. It is, uh, uh, that is the third piece of the puzzle. It makes sense why we have an astronomer and an astronaut in the studio. But why do we have this incredible musical multi-instrumentalist performer who's gone out on tour with Richie Blackmore of Deep Purple? We will get to that in just a little bit. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on New England Public Media. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. And we are joined live in the studio by astronaut Dr. Katie Coleman, by astronomer Dr. Salman Hamid, and even if you don't have your own doctorate, an honorific from me, the doctor of rock, Chris Devine, (laughs) from Minstrels in the Gallery, who will be performing at the Drake in Amherst this Saturday. Now... We will talk more about that show and the music that will be performed and Katie Coleman's role in that, as well as her other... Small, very small. Small role in that, perhaps, <laughs> but large role uh, intergalactically in the music scene. You're one of the only intergalactic musicians that exists, actually, I guess, technically. Oh, no way. One of the only. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because we know Chris Hatfield, right? yep. who was... Uh, were you on a mission with him? Is that... We trained a lot together, never uh-huh. up in this... At the same time. Yeah. Yep. He had a very famous performance that we may hear a portion of uh, later in the show, too, from the International Space Station. But every Monday, we have a regular astronomy segment on the Fabulous 413 with Dr. Salman Hamid, Mr. Universe. And w- what do you want to be focusing on today, especially given that we can pepper an astronaut with questions? Yeah, I mean, this is just a fantastic opportunity because <laughs> Axiom and NASA, they just... Um, unveiled, in some sense, a spacesuit that will be uh, worn by astronauts uh, landing on the moon uh, in hopefully in a co- next couple of years. And uh, there were a couple of things. So, so I wanted to um, ask you uh, about that. One of the things was that the, uh, I mean, the, uh, the spacesuits looked cool. They were sort they of like black do. and orange. And I found out sort of like, you know, that the, one of the designers was also worked on that uh, on For All Mankind, the show. Oh, good. The person who designed the spacesuits for that was also designed it for uh, for Axiom that they are going to be using. But I wanted to know, so like, what would be different? Because mm-hmm. I mean, uh, between all of us here, I think you are the one who has actually worn a spacesuit. I wore a fake oh. a- NASA astronaut spacesuit on the March for the Food Bank once, but that doesn't count. No, so, but maybe you know we could reenact it again next year. Oh, and I wear it when the pandemic hit. I would go grocery shopping in it, <laughs> much to the delight of the people 
who worked at the supermarkets because you had a whole helmet and everything. It was great. <laughs> we are not shocked. <laughs> but even in that suit, I mean, you can, it's hard to do stuff. It's hard to eat. It's hard to, you kind of run it. You're, you're yeah. bigger than you think, you know, because your suit is bigger than, than you. And so for spacesuits for the moon, specifically for the moon, they're going to design for that environment, the very dusty environment and that amount of gravity. So that it's about 20% of our gravity, about a fifth of the gravity that we feel here. So you've seen like the the um, lunar astronauts, you know, kind of bounding across, kind of doing a little, you know, kangaroo like striding. It, it makes it easier. Um, but there, it's a different environment than one where you're just weightless. And those spacesuits that you see people doing spacewalks on the space station, they weigh about 300 pounds. No. And and then you want to train. You have to train and practice. And you, it's hard to do that in a 300-pound suit. And so we do that in a giant swimming pool where we're underwater and they weigh you out so you don't sink but you don't float. And yet somebody like me who's pretty small has actually a really a big air bubble in that suit. And it's kind of like me and my exercise ball have gone for a Is run. Is it like when you pool. go swimming and you get a random air bubble in your bathing suit? It's not right. Yes, yeah. but huge, right? But and so you know that's like dragging you up to the surface. Um, and so you know the, the suits you know have a certain size. I mean they can be adjusted a little bit shorter in the arms or this, but they had some things that were really tough, like on everybody. Um, which was there a certain width, and then you want to move your hand across your chest to look at something on the other, you know, to reach something, and you run into that part. <clears throat> Excuse me. And literally, I, I, all of us get out of that pool purple, blue, bruised. Because you're bruised. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And especially, um, they, they did actually eliminate the small suit, the small space suit at one point. It eliminated about a third of the women from being able to... Um, do spacewalks, which are then, it's, you know, pretty career limiting not to be able to do all the jobs. Really. Wasn't yeah. that what happened? Wasn't there supposed to be a historic all-women spacewalk, but they ran out of the correct size suits? Am I misremembering that? Well, this is where it's a longer story, and I uh -huh. won't tell it all, but basically that just what I was saying, eliminating the small spacesuit, that decision back in the mid-90s, that's what put what happened later in motion uh, is that yeah. there weren't enough suits of the right sizes but that's also it's a hard problem they I mean they weigh a lot there's not a lot of room up there even though the space station's very large like the size of you know football field up there um there's not a lot of room and so you know do you need to bring you know small you know size small uppers and lowers and they're they have big metal rings so these it's not easy to bring all the sizes and at the same time i think we've learned that there's real consequences to not designing for everyone and and actually what the company and bringing in these commercial companies like axiom they bring in ideas i'm, I'm excited that I, I hadn't heard that it was the folks that designed for all mankind um which is a show that i like because you know, the astronaut corps is not as diverse as we would like, and mm. it's not—it's not hasn't been as diverse as we'd like. And so, if you want to have some teenager around here, look to the TV to be inspired about how history might include them. It's hard to do, and yet shows like that give them—you know—inspiration. <laughs> We're speaking and with hope. real astronaut. Katie Coleman, Dr. Katie Coleman from Shelburne, as well as Hampshire College astronomer Dr. Salman Hamid, Mr. Universe from Hampshire College. Yeah, I was just going to say to balance it out, maybe I think for the next 30 years, there should only be small spacesuits. Uh, you know, yeah. so well, you know, only women can go. You know, those of us that are small are like, wait, to, I mean, I mean, economics and space economics is coming right. into play. And once they figure out that it's actually by the pound, 
I will not be crying for those big people. (laughs) (laughs) It's surprising that that's the one that they they decided to discontinue considering the way that like I would think about it in terms of how they were manning submarines for ages. Like they wanted people of a certain size and it was always smaller people to get into the tubes. So it seems like almost counterintuitive to the way that they had run things that they would get rid of the small suits. But I mean, if you're if you're recruiting larger people as a whole for other reasons, <laughs> I guess that does make sense. It's just disappointing. But it is a really great step to be. I mean, and, and people have wanted to take these steps to have new suits for a long time. But this is not just your spacesuit. This is your your own personal spaceship, right? Mm-hmm. And when you think about how safe you want the shuttle or whatever vehicle you're going up into space. You need these spacesuits, which are actually designed, the, the ones that we've had up until now are designed right down there across from the Hartford Airport. Really? From Bradley. Yeah. I didn't it know was Hamilton Standard, and then it was, um, uh, now it's Collins Aerospace in Nor- Northrop Grumman. Wow. And so, uh, I mean, right down there, there's real people who live around here who were making, you know, and, and those systems were designed and we know they could be safe, as safe as they could be. And so designing something really new, it's hugely expensive and very hard to do. And so doing this in collaboration with the commercial companies has been a great thing to bring in new ideas and actually show that if you start small, then you can actually always build them bigger. It doesn't actually necessarily work the other way around. Mm. When was the last time that they were redesigned before this? Uh, before this would probably be in the early 70s. That's disturbing. Wow. Like <laughs> Bell-bottom spacesuits. Well, but, th- I mean, think about roads and bridges and things Fair. like that around here. I mean, it's it's a serious infrastructure project to change things and how to reroute and how much money it costs to, you know. So it's, it, I don't know, can only go from where we are now. And, and actually, what I think also helps is that at least in the U.S., um, the astronaut corps is about 40 percent women now. And, and so then just by definition, and, and, the, and NASA is committed to having the first woman and the first person of color be the first ones to walk on the moon. And that's part of the Artemis mission, which is the uh, the spacesuits that these have been designed for, right? Right. And these were also sort of like the mobility was one of the big things that they were trying to show that yes. unlike the previous mission, especially uh, Apollo missions as yeah, well, because so they heavy. were so heavy. Mm-hmm. And so they were trying to sort of like, you know, bend. But one, which I'm still not 100% sure why, but they they said that, you know, the, the suits that we saw on, mm-hmm. on their release, those were black in color, black and orange. And then they explicitly said sort of like, you know, that when astronauts are actually going to go on the moon, uh, it's actually going to be white because they want reflexive uh, Mm -hmm. material over there. So they're going to take that off. So it wasn't clear. And I did see somewhere like, you know, what are they hiding? Is that like, you know, are they (laughs) hiding something? Are they hiding (laughs) something or not? But but that was a, a weird thing. But what they did say that because one of the places where the Artemis mission is going to focus on and where most people are going to be would be the lunar south pole. Correct. And including places where sun never shines. And so it's going to be very, very cold. Mm-hmm. And so that is one thing. It seems like that that's a difference from the Apollo spacesuits versus these. Right. Ones. And the and we think spacesuits, but they're like 11 different layers at least. And as a material scientist, I think this is like really cool mm-hmm. that they, you need all these different layers and maybe different ones for, uh, you know, for different uses on the moon. Right. And they were specifically talking about the boots. 
Mm-hmm. Is that because they will be right on the surface and it's so cold and says, so that's some new technology that they are using, which I don't know what it is. Yeah. But they are using it. Yeah. Well, and it's, in, you know, just interesting kind of human stuff to me. When we practice that in the pool and we were wearing those big boots, if there's some of those 11 layers, there's some big fold that's making a big crease right across your foot. It is actually unbelievably painful. Uh. And so how to, I mean, and to me, it's interesting. I think there was an award given a couple of years ago for designing new space gloves and the designers were the people the Victoria's Secret designers that designed the wings for the models <laughs> okay and when you think about it they're used to trying to figure out how to wrangle fabric and utility and mobility and accessibility and so I, I, I like that there's so many more people involved and I love the look of the new ones because I think it is, makes especially kids think oh it looks like a comic book yeah, right? yeah you could be a, a hero that, that it looks like a suit from an anime series yes <laughs> and, and so I, but I just think it makes it look accessible and I like it that on, I don't know if it's on purpose or not but it doesn't look like the same old thing that people feel like you know they didn't invite me back then to be part of it but now maybe this is something I could have an idea about I think they did talk about that I mean the, the look is so important that's the reason why they brought in sort of like you know from for all mankind because I think SpaceX their suits were designed by uh, somebody who did uh, Superman versus Batman so I think there is this element to it which again I think it, there is a positive and negative because there is a clear element of um, sort of like commercialization in there but I think there is also that there is an attractiveness I mean like you know you want space to be cool yeah and not sort of like boring that's why I think Katie Coleman is like the coolest person I practically have ever met and was so starstruck because of how many astronauts you get to meet and as a kid <laughs> I did I went to space camp for a weekend when I was a kid did you I'm, graduate I, it was like a weekend program okay. that I graduated from uh, but I was terrible at science and there was, you know, the marketing of space in the 1960s and maybe sadly again going forward here was all about militarism and who would be the military power in space. Your era with the International Space Station, Dr. Katie Coleman from Shelburne, uh, mercifully was in a more peaceful time and was very science focused. I mean, it's all about Earth. Yeah. Really. I mean, the science experiments that we do up there, they apply to understanding how to build spaceships and how to live and, and um, recycle all our water, all our air. But those are issues that we face down here as well, how to grow plants in a place that it's hard to do. Um, all those lessons that are great for exploration, they really apply down here on Earth as well, plus some cool telescopes. And I just want to say thank you for, like, all, in fact, I've gone to the Springfield Museum to, before to, like, you know, get some lessons in how to sort of take people around the sky. And I'm one of those people that buys those books like Curious George, H.A. Ray, you know, look, I mean, because... If it's not something you've done for a long time, you don't really know your way around the sky. And I wanted to feel like it was my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, folks like you have helped me learn my way around quite a bit. Thank you very much. Although I, I was going to say that my list of coolest people I've met has also changed now. I mean, I think Katie has on top. <laughs> Sorry, Monty. I mean, like, you know. <laughs> I'll, I'll live. Well, coming up, we'll have more conversation with Dr. Salman Hamid, Mr. Universe, Dr. Katie Coleman, astronaut, and we'll talk about her musical connections with Chris Devine from the band Minstrels in the Gallery, who will be playing on Saturday at the Drake and Amherst. If you have a question for an astronaut, an astronomer, or a multi-instrument, I couldn't find a good A word. Instrumentalist. Or Ian Anderson, aficionado. You can call 800-639-9120 or text 800-639-9120. More coming up on The Fabulous 413. 
Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. We're joined by Chris Devine, who is a Divine multi-instrumentalist from... Where do you live, Chris? I live in Sunderland. Good old... We were there. there. Well, we're going to tell you about that tomorrow on the show. We went to visit a farm in Sunderland. Had the best morning. There is going to be a lot of baby goat action on the show tomorrow. So be ready for that. Uh, But you play electric and acoustic violin and mandolin and guitar and flute and saxophone and keyboard and vocals. And you've performed for Nickelodeon and Comedy Central and PBS and toured with... uh, the person behind Deep Purple, Richie Blackmore, and now you are part of a tribute to Jethro Tull called Minstrels in the Gallery, who are performing at the Drake this Saturday. Uh, tell us about the band. Well, it features uh, actually four of the finest local musicians, so I do want to give those guys a plug because they're working for me and they're working really hard. I've got uh, legendary Jopey Fitzpatrick on drums, the only legal drummer that can be used in the Pioneer Valley. <laughs> we'll he give is, a shout-out to J.J. O'Connell. He is in, yes. Okay, right, right. He is in every, every band. Uh, pianist Ken Forfia, who I knew back in the college days at UMass. Um, and uh, Joe Boyle on guitar, who is oh, also yeah, very well-established mm-hmm. and uh, certainly appears with the, uh, the Young at Heart Chorus very often. He's one of their charter members. And uh, finally, Bill Noland, who is a bass player that I've been working with since the mid-'80s and who is actually the genesis of this band actually happening because uh, we used to do a small Jethro Tull segment in the band that we did back then. Uh, We had not seen each other for over 35 years, and uh, when we finally ran into each other, he said, you know, we used to do that Tull thing. You know, we we really ought to bring that back. And I'm like... Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. And I've, I remember you played Hawks and Reed a couple months ago, and people were over the moon excited about how great that show was sold out. Oh, uh, so you. this show is probably likely to sell out, and I'm not allowed to tell you to go buy tickets to the show <laughs> because of NPR rules. Can I? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Betsy, Betsy says, uh, our engineer says, FCC rules. So All right. leave it up to you, the listener, to decide right. what to do with Very your good. life. But if you like this music, there may be a sense of urgency to be thinking about it, at least. Uh, tell me about what it is about the music of Jethro Tull that inspired you to do this whole Jethro Tull performance. Mm, yeah. Well, I think my own musicality was kind of an evolution um, and that uh, I was became serious about music as a guitarist, as a teenager, um, and through that, uh, had a flute player who came to just a jam session when I was probably 16, 17 years old. And he could sort of wheeze his way through a couple of those songs. <laughs> you know, For those who was... don't know, Jethro Tell features prominently Ian Anderson on flute, yes. which is not the most traditional of rock instruments. No, in fact, he's the only, really the only one uh, up until... It's an R&B Liz. instrument now. Thank up you, Liz. Up until Liz. I was going to say, I was going to give yes. propers to Liz, who is, who is awesome, by Maybe the way. Fantastic. Maybe she, she wants really, to come on Saturday. Really good you never know. You never know. Really, really good player. Um... So anyway, I was just intrigued by that. I also had a very dear friend who was a complete tall nut. I didn't know the I didn't know the music at all. He said, "Well, here, take this." He said, "This is called Thick as a Brick." I said, "Well, that's a silly name." And and this is Passion Play. I said, "Well, I like that. I'm Catholic." Um, <laughs> so I I took these home and I was I would just I was so blown away by I said, "How do you do this with a rock band?" I mean, it was utterly new to me because I I was into the Stones, I was into the Beatles, you know. I was like, eh. um. And I, I went and got, I bought a flute the next day, as I wow. be, as I'd been a pretty serious trumpet player previous to that, I took to it fairly, 
fairly promptly. So, um, and and that was uh, you know I've, it was been a love affair kind of ever since. Once I became a serious violinist, I I set Ian I set Tull's music aside for quite a long time, but uh, then the the passion was re the passion was reignited <laughs> uh, in recent years. We're speaking with Chris Devine from Sunderland, who will be performing this weekend with Minstrels in the Gallery at the Drake down the street in Amherst. What other instruments do you like to bring into Tull's music? Like, uh, I know when I do covers, I kind of like to break it open. But, like, are you guys more purists with your renditions, or do you kind of like to play around with it? Bring in your violins. Bring in your trumpets. Well, it's a great question. Um, I do... A uh, violin solo at a special moment in in the show that I insert into one of the tall songs, um, but because the, the the material is a it's it's very very familiar to those that are fans of it right so they want to expect to hear it in a certain way. Also, the band itself uh, is somewhat nascent. I mean, we've been at it for for a while now, but. We're not at that point of like, oh, God, we have to play it that way again, you know, <laughs> right, where we want to start taking it outside. So they're very faithful renditions to the recordings, not the solos. I mean, those I, you know, I, because I strongly believe that improvisation should be improvisation at all times. So and I've never I've never liked seeing a tribute band where they play the solos note for note. It's mm-hmm. boring to me. Shouldn't but you mention as, your outfits? Oh, you mean my costumery? I, my costumery? I, I mean, is it a, a spacesuit? Oh well, I, there isn't there isn't much space in the suit in in my nether regions anyway. Perhaps a cod piece of sorts. Perhaps. Uh-huh. Yes. Perhaps. Ruffles and vests. In, indeed, there are ruffles. There are vests. Are you looking at a picture over there? No, no I just know. I've seen pictures of Jeff Ruffles. Okay. Well, yes. It and my uh, my costume, which has uh, been ably assisted by my very talented friend Ann Steinhauser um, is kind of a compliment, compilation of uh, he would change costume he would have a different outfit and a different theme for every album back in the peak period of the 70s and uh, so mine is sort of a, a hodgepodge compilation of all those looks. That way you get away with not having to do costume changes in the middle of the show. That's true although yeah. I, I would have I would have loved to but uh, yeah not, not enough uh, not enough time for that. Um, so uh, yeah so it does definitely comprises comprises boots it comprises tights it comprises vests and frilly shirts and perhaps an appendage thereupon. Now, I promised at the beginning of the show that it would all make sense at some point why a person devoted to the style, fashion, and music of Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull in one Chris Devine who joins us in the studio would somehow connect to astronauts and astronomy. And you will be performing with a very special guest at the Drake in Amherst this Saturday, Chris Devine. Yes, my dear best friend, new best friend, Katie Coleman, who was introduced to me, actually, through your previous guest on Friday, uh, Rosie Kane, uh-huh. who is <laughs> my, great my absolute beloved, beloved best friend, um, who uh, Katie, had, I don't sure how you originally became acquainted with her, but at any rate, we, uh, we had done some Irish shows together over the past few years, and, uh, you know, then I, I, it came to be revealed that she had actually played with Ian from Orbit. Which and, is incredible. Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull and you, Katie Coleman, did a an actual duet, you in space and Ian on Earth. Well, and I actually brought his flute up there. And so 
I was on the, I, I went up to, to the space station on the Russian Soyuz, very small, right? Mm-hmm. And, and back on the same mm-hmm. craft. And when I was going to go, there were no space shuttles. They were going to be done with the space shuttle. And so I couldn't bring anything but a couple of pounds in the Soyuz. Suddenly, the shuttle missions were delayed. And a shuttle would be going up and could take some of the, you're, you, we've always been allowed to bring things that, you know, mean something to you, your family, organization, local organizations. And getting to go to space is just so special. We often, I think all of us try to bring things with us that bring others with us. Mm. Um, I think there was a model of a Galileo telescope that uh, came up there. Um, and I brought, I brought uh, a flute for myself. Um, made in Massachusetts, actually the Powell Company in, in Massachusetts. And I also brought uh, one for Ian Anderson. And uh, and then also I brought an Irish flute. It was about 100 years old. Wow. And a penny whistle for a band uh, called the Chieftains. And I tell people that if you brought their flutes to space, you could play with them too. <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually have the clip of the duet between you and Ian Anderson from the International Space Station and with Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull on Earth. And we'll hear that right now. Tonight, Ian Anderson and I would like to honor Yuri Gagarin for his brave journey 50 years ago. And we would like to celebrate the role that humans play in the exploration of our universe, past, present, and future, by sharing some music between Earth and space. Thanks, Colonel Catherine Coleman in the International Space Station. We should remember that today's cosmonauts, scientists, and astronauts are still every bit the rocket heroes they were 50 years ago. So from the cultural city of Perm in Russia, let's salute Katie, Dima, and Paolo up there in orbit, and of course, the legendary Yuri Gagarin. Go safely. That was the voice of Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull, who Katie Coleman did a duet with from outer space while Ian Anderson was in Russia on the 50th anniversary of Yuri Gagarin going to outer space. What, looking back on that now, what is it, about 10, 11 years ago now, I think, right? 11, yep. Yep. Uh, the, what, what is, how does that feel to hear that weeks. all over again? April 12th, which uh-huh. is the anniversary of the first human to leave the earth. And yeah. Ian was playing a concert in, uh, in Russia. Ian Anderson is the flute player in Jethro Tull. He's the, le- the leader of the band. Um, to me, it's, it's, it's about, it's like, partnership and community and you know he and I are in the I said you know it meant a lot to me that you brought the flute to rock music it meant that people like me could play not just you know 
classical music, not, not just that there's jazz. anything wrong with that. But I love, <laughs> I do love classical music. Well, good. <laughs> and, and Chris said he's not going to leave until class. No. But I think it's about family. I mean, that's what, and that's what the show on Saturday is about, too. I mean, Chris and I met, you know, through Rosie, who just brings people in to play music, and then they find each other, and they play places. And, and I, I tell people that, you know, partnerships take being brave and being open and I had to be brave to ask. I think he had to be really open to say yes. And and even when I've played with his band, uh, you know, later, you know, in, a couple times in the past years, um, they're they're like a family, and and music is a family sport. And in fact, I, when you're on the road, it's very much like being part of a space crew, getting along. You don't mm-hmm. get to pick everybody on your crew, uh-huh. right? And how to get along, and uh, wh- uncomfortable what... outfits, as we've heard about already. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I was going to say that uh, they, I think they like me because when I show up in Boston, when they're playing in Boston, I bring uh, tomatoes, fresh tomatoes from Putinsky's farm stand. Nice. Nice. Shameless plug to our local heroes. Well, because real things on the road, not just like food from somewhere. It's like food from somebody's farm. It's no astronaut ice cream, but it'll do. Also, I feel like it's the most prog rock thing to play Enid Anderson's flute in space. Like, what could be progier than that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if you played on the dark side of the moon, perhaps. Oh. <laughs> we need the new suits for that. That's right. <laughs> well, and now, and actually, we were we had a robot up there, and they were going to program the robot. I mean, it's really how to move his fingers, and he was going to move his fingers to do the keys and I would be like hanging off on the side providing <laughs> but, but but then you know can't do everything on the mission can't do everything that is astronaut Katie Coleman from Shelburne and Robot Chris flautists on the moon yes and Chris <laughs> Devine the multi-instrumentalist who is going to be part of the tribute to Jethro Tull this Saturday in Amherst at the Drake called Minstrels in the Gallery Katie Coleman will be accompanying them on stage and they are going to perform for us live in the studio in just a little bit, I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Clee Smith. You're listening to the fabulous 413 on NEPM. Welcome back to the fabulous 413. We are joined in the studio by our resident astronomer for Mondays, Hampshire College astronomer Dr. Salman Hamid, Mr. Universe. We're joined by multi-instrumentalist Chris Devine from the band that pays tribute to Jethro Tull, Minstrels in the Gallery, who will be performing with a special guest this Saturday at the Drake in Amherst, one astronaut who spent nearly six months in outer space, off of the planet, one of the few human beings in history who have had that opportunity, Shelburne's Katie Coleman. And you are going to perform a flute duet for us in the studio right now. What are we going to hear, Chris? This is a little Irish tune. I believe it's called uh, Fanny Power. Is it's that true. right? Yep. Okay. Yep. It th- means something different in Europe, I think. <laughs> yes, we know that. I believe that's the case. Yes. <laughs> and I strongly believe in it. But it's, but it's safe here. It's, it's safe here. Oh. <laughs> it's something that the chieftains uh, asked me. I, I said, you know, is there something I could play that you know, would, I mean, wouldn't upset all the lawyers and, you know, all those kinds of things. And they, they sent this song up to me. And so it's just something I've loved and I've played with them right. sometimes on stage.
Chris Devine and Katie Coleman, who will be performing together, at least to a limited degree. You're going to be a special guest on couple numbers. I'm going to play I'm going to play the song that Ian and I played, The Beret. Aha, uh-huh. uh-huh. so you can hear that uh, live. That's kind right. Of, it's That's a little right. more made for for duets. Uh, any any wild things you want to play for us, Chris? No, I don't a know. Hint of <laughs> <laughs> play something wild while we've got the next couple minutes here Chris Divine of Minstrels in the Gallery at the Drake on Saturday. <laughs> He was not playing that instrument until somebody brought a Jethro Tull album over to your house, and you're like, I'm going to go get a flute. I'm going to go get it. Inspiration <laughs> Damn it, I'm lies it. anywhere. Yeah, well, that is fantastic. And, and not to leave Salman out of this conversation. Yeah. You recently, have to play something on the flute well, now. <laughs> recently, though, the Chandra X-ray Observatory, they took, um, they took basically the images that Chandra has taken and, put, and made them into music. How and does it's, that work? It was just out in like the New York Times and different places where it it's it's almost like you're up there discovering black holes with Chandra. Right. So they are trying to sort of like making astronomy accessible to other senses, and partly it's about uh, to uh, for, for deaf population and for other sort of like you know that how would it feel like I mean this and is blind. not for deaf yep. but it's for blind yep. population and deaf population. So they're doing different things. So they're doing it with textures, but also for sound. They are doing this thing that you can actually represent images in some sense through sound. I mean, ultimately, there is a parallel conversion because if you think about it, light is wa- uh, light is also a wave, and so is sound. And so you can do that. And so they are really trying to make a um, bunch of these images. And Chandra Observatory, their folks actually have been taking a lead on these things, and and it's really cool. You can actually sing, you can hear a black hole sing because it has certain types of sort of like waves, the pressure waves that go in and you can, and our ears won't be able to listen to it, but you can actually move it into the, range, the we can. range that we can hear and you can translate that in some sense. Which is interesting because a lot of the things that the new James Webb Space Telescope is doing is not in the visible light spectrum for us to see anyway. So it's already interpreted images to make it accessible for our human eyes, why not continue to take these interpretations and turn them into other glorious things like music? Well, also, it's it's neat because there's sort of a, a societal like connection, too. Like, Aborigines, like, have, like, sung maps. Like, you sing the landscape in order to find your way across the continent. And so this is, there's a precedent for this that's already historically there. It's kind of awesome that it's now being expanded to include the cosmos. It's exploration. <laughs> right? And it all comes together with astronomy and music and outer space. Our three guests, it's been a delight to have all of you here. Our regular Monday astronomer, Hampshire College astronomer, Dr. Salman Hamid, Mr. Universe, Chris Devine, who will be with his band Minstrels at the Gallery this Saturday at the Drake with a very special guest, astronaut, Colonel, 
<laughs> Katie Coleman from Shelburne, Massachusetts. Thank you. Don't forget doctor. Doctor. <laughs> I said it at the beginning. From, from UMass. I, from UMass. <laughs> doctor from UMass. Said it at the beginning. I said I wouldn't do it every time, but I did want to put it in there. Doctor. Katie Coleman, thank you all so very much for coming in today. It's been our pleasure. Tomorrow in the fabulous 413 is former President Trump about to get arrested. We'll hear from professor of law at Western New England University, Jennifer Tao. And a conversation with Janet Elber and Ann Soder from Martha Graham Dance Company, who are performing a resurrected lost work of the icon at UMass this weekend. And we will cuddle baby goats at Thomas Farm in Sunderland. Our director is Tony O'Dear Dunn. Our engineer is Betsy. You want how many people in this studio, Cordis? Our technical team is Kara sizing up the CD library Foster, Bart Hippie Stoves Rankin, and Punk Rock Dubay. Musical thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, David Bowie, Jethro Tull, and Minstrels in the Gallery. Not to mention live, Katie Coleman and Chris Devine. Indeed, I'm Kalee Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. We'll see you tomorrow in the Fabulous 413.